uh, you are under assault from the evil one. And the days are getting darker. The schemes are, are getting more intriguing. But you and I have the ability to withstand everything. Everything he throws at you, you can overcome in Jesus' name. The greater one, where does he live? The greater one lives in you. So let's start with John 16, 33. And I just want to encourage you, despite the fact that challenges, setbacks, adversity, and hurts are inevitable in the Christian life. If you weren't taught that, you weren't taught faith correctly. If you thought that if you'll have enough faith, you'll be in a bubble, then everything will be fine, you didn't get the full counsel of God. In fact, faith actually attracts adversity. Faith makes you a target. And should you be anointed with a destiny and a purpose and a call in your life, and you all have them, then you, of course, are, are the bullseye of the enemy. And I want you to see tonight in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have uh, peace. In this world, you will have what? You will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart. Shout that out. Take heart. Say it again. Say, take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And that's at the foundation of what it means to have resiliency in your spirit is someone who takes heart despite everything being thrown at them. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart. Say it again, take heart and wait for the Lord. Uh, you and I are called to not faint, amen, not lose our steadfastness, not give up our hope, not give up what God's trying to do in us. Then in Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord. Thank you, Jackie. Anybody else know that scripture tonight? But the Lord delivers what? Delivers them out of all of them. Everybody say all of them. In other words, this idea that if I'm righteous, then I won't have any challenges in life, uh, that's not what the Bible teaches about faith. What the Bible does teach about faith is that no matter what comes at you, you can overcome it. Um, we don't have an existence where we're in some kind of a, a kept place and nothing ever reaches us. We're given the promise that no matter what we go through, we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. Now, raise your hand if you've been through through things if you, as you've been a Christian. Raise your hand if you've ever been through anything. Raise them up high. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, what's wrong with your faith? It, nothing. Absolutely nothing. It has nothing to do with whether you've been through something. But I will tell you this. The devil will use those things to try to get you to throw down your destiny in God. And I'll tell you, uh, we just go around the room and have testimonies, not so much of, of the latest thing God's done for us through divine surprises, but just testimony of what the enemy tried to do, and he planned something for evil. But how many you know God knows how to turn those things around for good in your life? So he wants you to be encouraged tonight. Uh, this is not a sprint. And your best days don't arrive after a short sprint. Your best days and your greatest victories are going to arrive after a marathon. You say, Pastor, I don't like hearing that. I want to go to a non-marathon church. I want to go to a sprinting church. I'm tired of this nonsense. You know, hang in there and just around the corner. Praise the Lord. Keep fighting. Well, that's what the word teaches. In fact, you know, in fact, Paul said, I have fought what? The good fight. In other words, he recognized that it was from the Greek in agonizomai, where we get the word agony from. Yes, there was some of that going on. But how I many you know he saw a lot of amazing things? 
And God used him, of course, to record an enormous portion of the New Testament for our benefit. And he's, he's honored as a man of God. And, and who knows what his assignment will be in glory. How many you like to have some seminars with Paul for a while? Yes, amen. Well, this is the reality. And so if we just tell you, well, serve Jesus, praise the Lord, stay in faith, and everything will be perfect, we're not helping you. The church is not helping you by giving you just half the equation. You need to be taught how to stand. Having stand, therefore, what? Continue to stand. You need to be taught about a thing called resiliency. And this word, this concept is strong in my spirit. So we'll just see what the Lord has for us. Um, John 10.10 10 makes it plain. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life. And have it more abundantly. The Amplified says to the full till it what? Till it overflows. So in other words, there's a thief out there and he's stealing and he's killing. Let there be light. Amen. He's stealing and he's killing and he's destroying. But Jesus said, I've come that you that are my people that might have what? Life and life more abundantly. So in other words, no matter what the devil does, watch this. Just because the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy doesn't mean that you can't have life and life more abundantly. The first is a reality. The second one is a higher reality. Amen. And then First John 5, 4, you've heard this scripture. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Now write this down in big bold letters. Resiliency is part of your faith. Resiliency is an aspect or dimension of your faith. And I'm not just talking about hanging on for dear life, you know, because Jesus is coming back one day. I'm talking about the ability in your life to withstand gale force winds and every assignment of the enemy, every lie of the enemy, every pothole, every hole, that, every trap that's been destined for you. And he continues to give you victory despite that. Sometimes it's not just circumstances or generic things that happen. But how do you understand a lot of the problems that come into your life come because of people? Amen? Now, I don't like when, when animals don't do what I want them to do, when they make a mess or whatever. But I have never, you know, we had princess all those years. I, I never had princess undermine me one time as a pastor. Not once. Never got on social media. I mean, one character that was at Murray State for a while actually set up a website just to try to debunk the things that I teach. And, you know, it's, it's easy when you just pull something right out of a message without actually listening to it. That's between him and God. But I'll tell you this, this idea that I can just do whatever I want to do to the ministers of the gospel and just sit back and get away with it. No, there's coming compromise. There's going to be accountability for that kind of thing. But, but you know, I never had that come from a four-legged animal. In fact, 99.99% of all the things that I've ever had to deal with came what through? Two-legged animals. Amen. <laughs> Say it with me, people. Well, Jesus was prepared for that. He said in Matthew 5, verse 11 through 13, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. Yes, that's exactly what I feel like doing. When you're mistreated or somebody's talking ugly about you or undermining, oh yes, praise the Lord, hallelujah, that's my first thought. 
I will confess that one day that will be my first thought. <laughs> At least I'm on the radar of the first thought. But that's not always my first thought. My first thought goes back to the spirit of slap sometimes. Amen. And you know what I'm talking about. So whether it's some adversity, some loss, some option of the enemy, or some intrigue, you know, there are a lot of people that are better at yielding to the devil than they are at yielding to the Holy Spirit. And some of those people will be tools of the enemy. And you have to realize that behind all that is whom? The one that comes to steal and kill and destroy. And if you make it about personalities, you're going to make a mistake. If you make it about flesh, you're going to make it a mistake. And you're not going to be able to develop this thing called resiliency in your life that's required for your faith to be effective. See, I've watched for years now, and I've been in this long enough to know, that it's not every, every time you see somebody believe God for something and, and it doesn't happen or maybe go sideways, it's not because they didn't necessarily believe what the Word said. There are other factors involved in this. We have been taught, for example, that if we come out of love, what's going to happen to our faith? Faith works by? Faith works by what? By love. And we undergird, of course, our faith with patience. But if we do not hang in there over the long haul, a thing called resiliency, it's not going to be necessarily a faith failure. It will be a resiliency failure. We're not just called to believe God for a week. Well, Pastor, I tried this for a month. It didn't work. Well, praise the Lord. Aren't you special? <laughs> I tithed for three weeks. It didn't work. Didn't change anything. No, that's not resiliency. Say this with me again. Some of my greatest victories are coming after a long time. I'm so glad I came here tonight, Pastor. Praise the Lord. Pastor said after I run five marathons, then I'll get the victory. You need to know how to stay resilient over the long haul. And a lot of people just don't. I mean, some make it for a few months, some make it for a few years, some even make it for a decade, whatever. But sooner or later, they'll throw down their faith, they'll walk away from the things of God, they'll walk away from their assignment, they'll walk away from the people they're supposed to be living this faith life out with. And yes, it does matter where you go to church because God is the Lord, you are not. Say it with me, Jesus is Lord. This malarkey that says, I just can go anywhere and the church should just put up with it and that's just the way it should be. I can go anywhere I want to. No, last time I heard, you're supposed to be dead. Can I have a better amen than that? You talk about a return message? How about return to lordship? We're supposed to be doing what he tells us to do. But there's an entire mass of people out there that write their own rules in every area of life and then wonder why they aren't living God's best. Look at somebody and say, he's in charge. He's better at it than you. How many know God's been managing longer than you? He's got more experience. And he knows you better than you know you. Yes, he does. So whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. <laughs> for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So what you're seeing here is, is a, a great theme in Scripture telling God's people 
that they have to be resilient. Didn't Jesus say, and he who believes till the end? We want to believe a week or a month or six months, and if nothing turns around, then we want to just go out and find something else. No, we found the answer. His name is Jesus. Amen? We know the truth. It's called the Word of God. We just have to prepare ourselves mentally and spiritually for the long haul. Many today, in response to the challenges, become quitters. They get bitter. They're complainers and bellyachers. And many of them take on the victim mentality in life. If you've done that, you're not resilient. Anybody can do that. Anybody can quit. Say it. Anybody can quit. Anybody can get bitter. Anybody can get put out. Amen. And anybody can walk around playing the victim card. You know, I've noticed something about people who do that. They don't accomplish much in life. They've already decided that I'm the victim and that's all that matters and woe is me and help me and give me and pay me and do this for me. No, that's not who changes this world for the better. Amen. Saying I'm a victor, not a victim. I also notice these people, they manifest a spirit of insecurity all the days of their lives. And I'll tell you this, a, a spirit of insecurity is a manifestation of the spirit of fear. And basically, it's, 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 it's probably the most pathetic and foul spirit that I have witnessed in all the years of ministry. Because this person is not able to enjoy life, um, you know, because everything about life and whatever God is doing in your life or what God has given you, they feel less because of what God is doing in you. Um, John Maxwell used to tell this story about a pastor he went to help out with some, some counseling, some coaching, and he got to his church, he got up on the platform, and there was a circle behind the pulpit on the floor, on the carpet, an actual circle. And Maxwell just kind of looked at the circle and looked at him. He goes, what on earth is that? He said, that's my circle. Nobody gets in that circle but me. And, and Maxwell realized, you know what? He's got his work cut out for him with this guy. <laughs> um, that was his circle. Well, first of all, it's not his circle. It's not his church. It's not his platform. It's not his pulpit. But what spirit could possibly drive somebody to not want anybody else in that circle. Insecurity. Insecurity just, you know, keeps somebody from being able to, to, to ex let somebody be exposed to their life, their family, their ministry, their business, because somebody may like that person or praise that person, and their insecurity drives them to protect themselves at every area of life. What a miserable way to live. Amen. If somebody steps into the circle and does a wonderful job, that should be a thing to praise God over. Amen. If somebody excels, you can say, praise the Lord. God's doing that through them. If somebody is blessed by God and increased by God, that should make us insecure. That should tell us the word is true. But the insecure people, they don't operate that way. And so, you know, you can either be like that or you can fight that thing and stand against that thing, walk in love, walk in faith, and develop resiliency in your life. Because I can't tell you, sooner and tell you tonight, hey, nothing's ever going to come at you again. You've already gone over the hump. Nothing ever is going to happen again against you and your Christian walk. You're blessed. Amen? Congratulations. You've arrived. Yeah. And we could just have 
you know, a bunch of you just take the microphone and tell all the things you've dealt with since you've been a Christian. And yet you're still here. How do you know the good news is you're still serving God? Come on, say it. That's the good news. Whatever the, the devil designed for that didn't work. And I have a long list of them myself. Amen. And I might actually put them into a book one day called Resilient. Because at every step of the way, the reason for those things was to take me out of my lane. And the same thing is for you tonight, to take you out of what God's destiny is for you. Amen. But if you'll get stubborn, well, I, I can't be stubborn towards the devil. Well, you've been stubborn towards the Lord for years. You can do that. You can be stubborn towards the Lord's command. You can just ignore the devil like you do to God. Amen. We've already mastered that one. So, uh, you know what? That dog's not going to hunt, is it, church? No. So, check this out. We need to cultivate a resilient spirit in the face of adversity. Now, write this down. Resilient means able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. Listen to that language. Able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. I think what happened on this topic was a few months ago, I was, I was sharing something on a Wednesday night, and I told you I, I was watching a video by this pastor, and I don't know the pastor. I don't even remember uh, where he pastors, what kind of church it is. I don't even remember what state it is in. But he was, he was sitting on a stool, and he was talking to his church. And I think he may have been going into a sabbatical or in a transition. I don't even know the backstory. All I know is he sat there on that stool, and he said these words. And I'm sure that you, many of you in this room can relate to that. He said, I find these days, after many, many years of being in the ministry, doing what he was doing, he said, I find these days I don't recover as quickly from adversity and challenges and setbacks. In other words, the longer he's been in this, the slower the recovery is. What he, what he was saying in, in my thinking here is that his resiliency was not increasing. It was decreasing. And that's a warning sign to you and to me. I mean, that's, that's for us to say, you know what, I, I can't afford to become less resilient. Because the warfare is not going to get less intense. I've got to become even more resilient than ever before. And so what it means is you're able to withstand and recover quickly from difficult conditions. If you have a setback, you, you, you jump back quickly. If you have a loss, you recover quickly. If you have a disappointment, you get back up on your, on your horse and you ride again. If somebody knocks you down, you get back up again. The righteous man falls seven times and does what? Gets back up again. The Bible says, yeah, if I fall, guess what? I shall I shall what? I shall arise. In other words, it's not, am I going to fall? Am I going to stumble? Is everything going to always go perfectly? It's not. But the resilient spirit says, guess what? I'm going to be the one who gets back up again. You're not going to knock me down and keep me down that easily. I'm not a pushover. Come on, shout it out. I'm not a pushover. Say, I am not a pushover. You're the one that falls down and gets back up. But you would be amazed how many Christians fall down, and it looks like physically they're up. But spiritually and mentally and emotionally, they're not. And each time something happens, they become less and less and less resilient. Able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. Able to recoil or spring back into shape after bending, stretching, or being compressed. 
Anybody ever felt like they've been bent? Stretched? <laughs> and if not stretched, something trying to hold you down, hold you back. Compressed. But what do you do? You just bounce back again. Amen? Able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. Able to recoil or spring back into shape after bending, stretching, or being compressed. The resilient spirit perseveres, lives in victory, is tender-hearted, say it with me, tender-hearted, kind, joyful, peaceful, and faith-filled. Let me say it again. The resilient spirit perseveres, lives in victory, is tender-hearted, is kind, and joyful, and peaceful, and faith-filled. Does that sound like somebody who just falls down and stays there? No, the resilient spirit is just different. And the Lord is needing uh, people in, in his body to be more resilient than ever. And, you know, the, the pandemic, COVID, that's not the, the worst thing that's hit the church in the past couple of years. I mean, we see people that by physical absence have proven there's no resilience there. Or they stepped away from their ministry, no resilience there. Or they mentally checked out or emotionally checked out. You know, the average Christian can't, can't hardly pay attention to a 20-minute lesson, let alone a pastor art series. How's your listening resilience? How's your resilience in your ministry? Well, I'm tired. I just want to quit. I want somebody else to do it. Did God call you to do that? See, one of the problems in the body of Christ is the average Christian has one standard for the pastor and another standard for them. You won't find that in Scripture. You won't even find the division between clergy and laity in Scripture. That's a man-made creation. You have equipping ministers and ministers. And where did the equipping ministers come from? From the realm of the ministers. Where did Philip come from? Where did Stephen come from? They were ministers. Philip, long before he had apostolic power and authority, was serving, right, as a minister. The clergy lady thing is what I call a myth. It's not scripture. It's designed to put, you know, people in ministry up here and those in the pews down here. And what it did is it taught millions of Christians around the world. All they had to do was just sit in the pew, give a little money, you know, participate in communion, make sure they're baptized and everything's just fine. And so they just don't have the same view of what they should be doing. So there's one standing for the pastor who should hang in there. How many believe the pastors in America should hang in there? 15, 1,600 of them quitting every month. What issue is that? Did God suddenly change his mind about the call? No. Did he send him a telegram saying, I'm done with you, you're finished, take a break? No. This is a resiliency issue. And the same issue hitting those that are in full-time equipping ministry are hitting people in the pews all over the country, and particularly the Western church. Now, what you have to do is say, you know what, I'm, I'm called to something, I'm going to stick with it. Come on, say, I'm going to stick with it. Come on, say it boldly. I'm going to stick with it. You know, you need to make up your mind that uh, nobody, no thing is going to pull you out of what God has assigned you to do. Say, well, you know, if I see all these things come to pass and see all this fruit and see all these victories and see all these blessings, well, maybe I'd hang in there. 
you don't understand that oftentimes the biggest and most explosive blessings and victories come after you've been resilient for a long time. Now, by that definition, there's some folk up in this here church getting ready to see some major breakthroughs in their lives. Because I've been here long enough to be able to tell who's resilient and who be not resilient. Amen. And all I know is it honors him and blesses his heart. You don't think he doesn't know what's been thrown at you? You don't think he doesn't have a clue what's been done? You think he approved of that stuff? And yet he's looking at you and saying, okay, watch what happens when a servant of God goes through something and they won't quit. They, they maintain that resiliency. You're just setting yourself up for amazing things. Amen. Come on, say it. My best breakthroughs, my biggest victories, my biggest blessings are coming up. They're in front of me, not behind me. You say, well, can you tell me precisely, Pastor, when that's going to happen? Sorry. Don't have a clue. All I can tell you is if you look at Scripture, the people who demonstrated resiliency sooner or later. God gave them great breakthroughs. Amen? And in this teaching, we'll go through some of those. Watch this now. Nothing indicates spiritual maturity more than to be stretched to the max and snapped back. Nothing. To get attacked, and yet you continue. To fall down a hundred times, but you get back up again. Come on, said, I've been stretched to the max, but I snap back. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, I believe I've lost some of my snap. I need to get it back. Stretched to the max, and yet you what? You snap back. And maybe some of you tonight that have been serving the Lord, maybe not as, as, as long as others in this room, you say, uh, wow, this is so encouraging. Praise the Lord. I'm about to get hammered. Praise the Lord. Now I'm going to have to endure for a long time. <laughs> Well, you know what? God has just been very gracious to you to, to fill you with revelation knowledge about this. So when you find yourself stretched, you remember those words and you don't quit. Come on, I said, I cannot, be, I cannot be defeated. And I will not quit. Say, I cannot be defeated. That's scriptural truth. And I will not quit. So how are we defeated? Only if we will to quit. Nothing indicates spiritual maturity more than to be stretched to the max and snap back. Nothing indicates spiritual maturity more than resiliency in your life. Now, I didn't say that you're happy about all the stuff that goes on. Not jumping up and down when something goes sideways. But yet, you maintain resiliency. That is spiritual maturity. Amen. And a lot of people never get to the place where they can demonstrate maturity because they go through some things and that's it. Well, here's a secret for you. Let's say you throw down your faith and walk away from the promises of God. You're still going to get hammered in this world. You're just not going to have the outlet and support for the things that you do go through. You think there's somehow an escape hatch that if I don't serve God, everything's going to be fine? No, it's going to be 10,000 times worse. You're not going to have the solution. You're not going to have the, the way 
into victory at that point in time. So let's just take this uh, a little bit further tonight. Say it with me. I have a resilient spirit. I'm not a quitter. I'm not bitter. I'm not belligerent. I don't throw it down. I don't fail to get back up. In Jesus' name, I have resiliency. Yes, amen. Why is resiliency so important? First of all, it sustains you when you face adversity and challenges. When there's nothing else to sustain you, resiliency will. Look at somebody and say, you've come too far to give up now. Come on, time you've come too far to give up now. It sustains you when you face adversity and challenges. Um, you've praised all you can praise. You confessed all you confessed. You've done all you could do, what you know to do. And yet, you're still in a situation. What do you do? You continue because you have a thing called resiliency in your spirit. Number two, it keeps you from losing heart and quitting. If you don't quit, you don't lose. Say it, I'm not a loser because I'm not a quitter. If you don't quit, you don't lose. Amen. And quitting's a decision. Amen. You say, Pastor, well, uh, you know, uh, I'm in a special category, and the Lord doesn't care if I quit. Yeah, you're in a special category, the stupid category. Because you're not special. Amen. You're not different from the rest of us. The standard is not less for you. It's the same. Number two, it keeps you from losing heart and quitting. If you don't quit, you don't lose. Number three, it helps you reach your divine destiny. Why? There is no path forward without it. The enemy will do everything he can to trip you up, but he has no answer to someone who's determined to be resilient. He can throw everything at you. He can give you every kind of assault, every kind of attack. He can use people, circumstances, situations. He can use losses. He can use uh, setbacks, adversity, whatever it is, challenges. But at the end of the day, he is no match for a person who's decided they're going to be resilient. I think it's a, a wonderful thing for you to get up every single day and say, you know what? I'm born again. I'm spirit-filled. I'm on fire for God. Amen. I believe his word. Amen. The blessings of Abraham are mine. Say it. The blessings of Abraham are mine. God has given you favor and blessing, opportunity and the power. And every day, add this to your confession list. I am resilient. I snap back every single time, no matter what's going on. There is no pathway to fulfilling your destiny without resiliency. It's just not going to happen. Number four, it encourages others when they see your steadfastness. That's what we need more of in the body of Christ, people who just won't quit. And it can't just be certain people in full-time equipping ministry. It's got to be in the seats. Can I have an amen? It's got to be in the body of Christ as a whole. And when you see somebody just go through all kinds of garbage, and, and some of you have, have been in ministry or you've been around us, for example, because of the position that you're in or because of the call of God in your life, and you've seen a lot of the things that, that full-time ministers go through. And so you can see that, and you can tell 
whether there's resiliency or not. And if you look at it carefully, you'll realize that what God is building in his people to stand is, is very important. And it actually has an encouraging effect on the people that can witness that. So when you stand, it encourages other people. Instead of what? Failing in the day of adversity. The Bible says if you faint in the day of adversity, how small is your strength? Adversity, challenges, setbacks, that's not even an, an option. It's going to happen from time to time. But what we need are people that are made of their mind. You know, I'm just going to do what God's called me to do. And you don't go around saying, hey, look at me, I'm resilient. Look at me, I'm resilient. You just live out a life of resiliency. When somebody looks at that, they're encouraged. If so-and-so can do it, then I can do it. Amen. Come on, give me a better amen than that. If they can do it, so can we. Amen. You say, well, they haven't had it as bad as me, or I don't have it as bad. And that's not the point. Everybody's life is, is based on their own reference point, and what may be nothing to you could be a big deal to somebody else. Some people it's in the area of health, other people it's in the area of relationships, other people it's in the area of money, other people it's in the area of a bondage or addiction or something like that. But the bottom line is, whatever is going on that they won't quit despite going through that, I tell you, that's encouraging to other people. Look at somebody and say, you encourage me by not quitting. Amen. And yet, isn't that exactly what the devil tries to tell you to do? Amen. Number five, it honors God. How does that uh, honor God, Pastor? Because it means his promises and his commands are important enough to you to stand and fight no matter what. You mean uh, all the devil has to do is throw a, th a few things at you and then you'll walk away from the promises and commands of God? No, we're telling God it doesn't matter what's thrown at us. I'm going to stand for his promises and his commands. It honors him because you're willing to fight for him. Instead of fold and walk away when the heat's turned on. I mean, you know, the commands of God, the prophecies of God, the promises of God are worth standing for. Amen. Praise the Lord. Have you, have you had an excitement in your spirit thinking about what the Supreme Court is going to do concerning the preservation of life and the unborn? You should. You should because there are 50 years of prayer underneath it. 50 years of prayer enabled pro-life people to get on that court. And I don't have any doubt at all that somehow, some way, we're going to see lives spared as this ruling comes out. That's why the lunatics are out. Come on, say it. None of these things move me. See, Paul had a resilient spirit, and despite everything, what did he say? None of these things move me. Well, I got, I got news for you. I believe that uh, A.B. Comey Barrett has resiliency. And so does Kavanaugh, and so does Gorsuch, amen. So does Alito, so does Clarence Thomas. Why do they have resiliency? Because they believe fundamentally that that child is life. Not a blob, not a piece of tissue, but life made in the image of God. And when you have that kind of conviction, it builds into you resiliency. So if they think they're going to do some threats on life or some parades of wackos through their streets or by their houses, if they think that's going to shut them down and melt, they're crazy. I believe every one of them know they're here for such a time as this. Amen. So yes, pray for, pray for their safety. Pray for their welfare. 
pray for some politicians to grow spine, threatening any judge under any circumstance at any level should be something that anybody with a brain should come out and say that's wrong and shouldn't be done. And yet they're not doing it. Because all they care about is their way and power. But what's giving them that kind of resiliency? They believe the commands and the promises of God. Amen. And I believe with all my heart we're going to see that. I don't know if it will happen by the end of June, but end of June or early July we're going to see that. And you should all praise God and thank God for people of courage. Amen. And the prayers of five decades of saints. You pray for five decades to see that thing turn. Amen. <laughs> and the Lord had to use somebody like Trump to get it done. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, on the other hand, right now, uh, praying three times what we were for gas on Election Day, I sure could use some more of those mean tweets right now. Yes, I sure could. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of the issues in this nation. Amen. But you need to rejoice and thank God because it's going to save thousands and thousands of lives. Can't wait to see it. Amen. It honors God. It may not, you may not realize this, but somebody's watching you. That's right, Pastor. I always feel like somebody's watching me. Watching me. They are. They're watching you. Say, why would somebody watch me? There's no, you know, really knowing why somebody may focus and laser their eyes on your life and watch you. But you, I promise you there's always somebody watching you. Every Christian has influence. Say it with me. Every Christian has influence. And you don't want to be the kind of person that, uh, that gets to a tipping point and says, well, that's it. I can't handle it anymore. Yeah, you can. We don't do Popeye theology around here. I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. Yeah, you can. Amen? Some of you are like, who's Popeye? <laughs> Look it up. Amen. <laughs> There's something worthwhile you can Google. Popeye, the sailor man. Yes, amen. He's strong to the finish because he eats his spinach. He's Popeye. A sailor man. So when you get to feeling weak, you know, you don't have to pop a can of spinach open, but you can pop open some more word. Could have an amen. amen. Pop open some more praise, hallelujah, some more prayer in your life. Because you resent. Yes. I just can't emphasize this enough. It's important for brothers and sisters to see us not wilting under pressure. Listening to these scriptures in Proverbs 24, verse 10, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? And listen to this from the NLT, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. That's what we're talking about is pressure, and yet you are resilient under that pressure. Uh, if you can't relate to pressure, think about the concept of oppression, trying to hold you down and hold you back. Amen? No, you got the greater one living on the inside of you. Amen. You're the head, not the tail above only, not beneath. 
Instead of giving up and quitting under pressure, call yourself all the things the Bible says you are. Talk about your future and your hope. Amen. Keep telling yourself, my best days are ahead of me, not behind me. But not if you quit. Amen. Glory to God. How do you cultivate resiliency? There are a lot of examples in Scripture, but I want you to take these with you and meditate on these tonight. I don't think there's a better example in Scripture of resiliency than the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. Um, I mean, what did the kid do wrong other than just maybe gratuitously share his vision and his dream? You know and I know, and you can see this starting in uh, Genesis 37, that uh, he was favored by his father, and that made the rest of his brothers insecure and jealous. Those spirits go together. So he's got the coat of many colors. He's blessed, and God is moving in his life. And he's having these dreams that depict him in a position of power and authority, not just over his brothers, over his mom, over his dad. And somehow they didn't need a book on dream interpretation to get the message. Which is interesting when you think about it. How do they all get the right interpretation? And they hated it. And hated him all the more. They should have stopped right there and said, how come we all get it if this is not God? But that's not what happened. He goes out there to see how his brothers are doing, and they decide they're going to conspire to take him out. And Reuben says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to throw him down here in the cistern because Reuben was thinking when they're not looking, I'm going to get him out of here and get him restored to his father. But in the meantime, guess what the brothers did? They sold him into slavery to the Israelites, watch this, for a whopping $160 of silver. That's what his life was worth. About eight shekels, $21 and something is the current price of silver. $160 in present day silver value for this boy's life. Israelites don't hold on to him. They sell him to Potiphar. Potiphar turns everything in his household over to him and guess what happens? Everything Joseph touches is blessed. See, when you have a resilient spirit, if you'll just stay in the right spirit, God will continue to bless and use you in a powerful way. He's just minding his own business. Come on, say it, minding his own business. And Potiphar's wife comes and hits on him. Now I wasn't born last night under rock. I know that's probably not the first person she hit on. It may have been the only one that didn't respond correctly to him, the way she wanted and so what does he do? He runs. And what does she do? Accuses him of rape, and he's thrown in prison. And it all started with a coat of many colors and a dream. Is there really anything in this story that you can say, yeah, boy, he had that coming? There's a lot of things you go through that have nothing to do with you having that coming. And so now he's in prison, and what happens in prison? He's still blessed. He's still anointed. Jailer turns all the administration over to him and excels. 
And you see, he's still having encounters with God. He's still dreaming. He's still receiving understanding. And in the story, after his right interpretation and his situation with the impending famine, God used him mightily, both with dream and both with understanding, both with strategy. And he became the second most powerful ruler in Egypt. Now, what happened between the pit and the palace? What happened between the pit and the palace was resiliency. At any point in time, if he had balked or laid down, that story would be very different. And not just he and his family, but hundreds of thousands of people could have been dead in two different nations. Because it wasn't just about him, it was about who he was supposed to impact. Say it with me, from the pit to the palace, he was resilient. But the question is, how in the world could he maintain that resiliency? <laughs> when you're thinking, boy, I've really gone through it to serve God, you could find somebody who's always gone through more. Come on, turn to somebody and tell them, somebody's always gone through more. Write this down. Number one, a devotion to God. You cannot break your intimacy and your devotion with him. Your praise life, your prayer life, staying in the word. Remember the words in Isaiah 40, 31, when you find yourself without strength, what should you be doing? You wait upon the Lord. In every context, in every environment, I believe he never broke fellowship with God. And how many understand no matter what you're going through, the Bible is very plain, he never leaves you. Nor does he forsake you. A devotion. I mean, you, you break fellowship with him in adversity, and you're not going to make it. You get out of the word when you're going through it, you're not going to make it. You start praising him and honoring him and said grumbling and complaining, you know, it really pays for me to serve God. There are a lot of Christians that think that way. First time something goes wrong. God is the first person to get blamed for the negative and the last person to get thanked for the good things. You break fellowship, and you're not going to make it. It's the foundation of your resiliency. Number two, a vision for your destiny. The picture from God of what you see yourself doing or being, he never let that go. Don't let the devil cause you to lose that picture, that inner image of an eager expectation. You hold on to that picture of what God has called you to be or do. It could be as simple as you seeing yourself, you know, getting people healed, getting them delivered. It could be a certain kind of ministry. It could be a business enterprise. It could be anything. It could be an educational degree. You hold on to that vision because that will help you maintain resiliency when things don't go perfectly in that situation. And it never does. You may not be thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, accused of rape, and thrown in prison. But whatever is going on is designed to get you to throw down your destiny. That's why you go back. I could just see Joseph sitting there in jail. You know what he's doing? He's rethinking about that vision. Thinking about what God has raised him up to do. The fact that this man didn't get bitter and quit is just astounding to me. Number three, a commitment to excellence. Always be ready to do your best. Some Christians have the mentality, when, I, when I'm promoted, then I'll give God a good effort. When I'm promoted, then I'll be excellent in what I do. When I'm promoted, then I'll be faithful in what I'm called to do. No, you be excellent right now. Can I have a better amen than that? You're excellent now. You're excellent in the pit. 
Are you here today? You're excellent in Potiphar's house. You're excellent in jail. You're excellent wherever you are because then when you get into Pharaoh's court, guess what? You're just going to continue to be what you've always been. Excellent. Amen. Daniel had a spirit of what? Excellence. And he stood out. I tell you, a lot of people want to see God's best in their life, but they have this mentality that, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's good enough for God and the government. No, it's not. You do it to the best of your ability. You do things in a way that are going to honor him. And that excellence will propel you and preserve you and give you that resiliency that you need. Say it with me, a devotion to God, a vision for my destiny, a commitment to excellence. Say it, I am always ready to give my best. And you say, you can see this in the church. How many know you should come to church on days you're not scheduled to serve? Is that an excellent mindset? I'm not serving, so I won't go. You can take it to the bank. A person with that mentality will drop off the face of the earth soon. Because they've lost their way. Amen? Or you come in and say, well, this, it's just the church, so I don't really have to, to apply myself and be what God wants me to be and be the best version of myself and really love on people and help people. I've said this for years. If you go to the United States Post Office and you step out of a car and you walk up to the door, there'll be several people there holding the door for each other acting completely human and kind. Put those same people in a church and there's like no concept of how about being polite and kind and gracious like you were at the post office. People mailing stuff and uh, picking up bills and yeah. And there's, oh, hey, here's the door. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. And then in church, slam the door in front of their face or how you doing? Grumble at them. I'm preaching better than y'all are staring at me right now. But that doesn't happen in the Wednesday night crowd. This is the overcomers cloud, right? This is the overcomers. Yeah, okay. Say it with me. I'm an overcomer. I don't do stuff like that. No, if, if you're going to do it, do it with excellence. Teach your class with excellence. Show up. Amen. Show up on time. Show up early. Feed the people that are in your class. Somebody came to me one time and said, well, I have a heart to teach this particular topic to women. And I said, okay, let's, let's pray about this and get this going. And, and hey, praise the Lord. After two weeks, there were only three or four people there. So this person just literally just disappeared. Gone. Poof. Not a word. And I'm thinking to myself, what signal does that send the three or four people who did come? Well, I'll do a good job when I have a big class. Until you change that lousy attitude, you'll never have a big class. You'll never have anything but frustration. Amen. I told you your story when uh, Creflo was first called to the ministry. He decided to start a Bible study and he advertised it and told other people about it. And time came for him to speak and nobody showed up. You know what he said? He said, I preached like that room was full. He said, there were tears flowing out of my eyes from disappointment. But I preached like that room was full. He said about two-thirds of the way through, somebody finally came in and sat down. He said, I am not starting over again. <laughs> and he, he said with his own, with his own, with his own testimony that, that the Lord told him, because you honor me this way, 
Say these words to him. You'll never preach to an empty room again. Now, anybody can say, I'll be faithful and excellent because I've got this. But how about to an empty room? How about doing your ministry and no one's looking and it's excellent? How about taking care of that child, changing that diver, sweeping that floor, greeting people, loving on people, doing your ministry, having the mindset that you're not going to take me out of my ministry, devil, for nothing. I'm not going to self-retire. There's no retirement in the body of Christ. There's just born again and dead. As long as you're born again and alive, you're supposed to serve. When you're dead, you just move to a different place to serve. But once you're born again, you're a servant for eternity. <gasps> what? When you're born again, you're a servant for eternity. Your service here for the time being, you may end up back here during the millennial reign. That's entirely up to your commander-in-chief. Amen. At least we'll know the person who sits on that throne knows what he's doing. He won't need a teleprompter. Amen. Yes, amen. Righteous he will judge. With wisdom he will run this place. Amen. You look at this man and what is he doing? All right. I didn't ask to be in Potiphar's house, but I'm going to do the best I can. And God blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph. I didn't ask to be in this jail cell. I didn't do anything wrong. But guess what? I'm going to do the absolute best I can. Make that jailer look good. Amen? A lot of us, under adversity, we do just the opposite. When I get out of this situation, then I will give God my best. Look at somebody say, give God your best right now. Spurgeon, called the Prince of Preachers, would finish his sermons 3 or 4 o'clock Sunday morning before church. Uh, that's just the way he did it. Everybody does it a little bit differently. And at the bottom of every one of his sermons, he would write in hand, Jesus deserves my very best. And he never stopped doing that. That was his ministry. Uh, some of you heard a story of Phil Driscoll, uh, the trumpet player. Everybody say Phil Driscoll. He had actually had, uh, had a, a parsonage and a secondary parsonage, which the tax code allowed for. And somebody in the administration decided they want to make an example out of him, so they went after him, and they charged him, and they convicted him, and they put him in jail in a federal prison. Uh, a man named uh, Cohen, who was actually a liberal and a Democrat, he served, I believe, in the Clinton administration, got wind of this egregious miscarriage of justice and took the case over and took this thing all the way to the Supreme Court, and guess what happened? The Supreme Court said this was wrongly applied. This man never should have been convicted. Now, in the body of Christ, you know, when somebody goes through a tough time, they just begin to withdraw and back off from them. But not everybody. Um, Jim Baker talked about how Billy Graham would show up. He talked about how Tommy Barnett would show up. He talked about how Brother Copeland would show up and just minister to him. And on the day that Phil Driscoll was released, this man, day one in the prison, was thrown into solitary confinement over a tax issue. He wasn't so much as given a toothbrush. Get the picture? This was a demonic hit. Now, what would he do? Eventually, they let him out, and eventually, they even gave him his horn. When Brother Copeland flew in, got a car, went to the prison, stood outside the gate waiting for him to be released, before Phil could ever get to the car, 
the warden came running out of the building and she said, I want you to know what has happened. He started playing that horn and he said, people all over this prison started giving their life to Christ. And he said, it turned into worship you know, efforts and, and worship services on a daily basis. And she said, I want you to know this prison will never be the same again because of Phil Driscoll. What did he do? Excellence. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them excellence right where you are. Because where you are right now is not where you'll end up. Amen. Number four, a positive mental attitude. You've got to think beyond the adversity and the setbacks. You've got to choose to believe the promise and the vision over the circumstances and the problems. A positive mental attitude. That's a choice. You know what? God has given you a promise. Um, I'm going to think about that promise. I'm going to meditate on that promise. Instead of thinking about all the things that are against me, I'm going to keep on standing on the word of God. And that's going to come to pass. Look at somebody and say, the promise of God will come to pass in your life if you think right. Amen? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. A devotion to God, there's your foundation. A vision for your destiny, a picture of what God has given you, what you're going to be or what you're going to do. A commitment to excellence, you're always ready to give your best. A, a positive mental attitude. Number five, and this is where it gets really critical, a heart of forgiveness. Pastor, I have been nailed so many times, I can't keep up with everyone's offenses. You don't have to keep up with everybody's offenses. You only have to keep up with yours. Your offenses. You've got to see this plain as day. Bitterness would have destroyed Joseph's dream. And how many opportunities did he have? How could he do that? Now, he toyed with his brothers a little bit when they showed up. But how many of you are just not sanctified enough that you would have stopped at toying with your brothers and your family? Huh? Forget about withdrawing and weeping a little bit. You maybe would let them have it. But that's not what he did. They threw him in the pit. He forgave them. Sold them in slavery. He forgave them. Amen. Falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Forgave him. Amen. Thrown in prison. Forgave him. Forgotten after fulfilling dreams and interpretation for people to benefit them before the king and being restored to a position of power like he did. Forgotten. He forgave him. I tell you, no one is ever going to be resilient unless they cultivate a thing called forgiveness in their life. The day you refuse to forgive is the day you stop being resilient. If you find yourself, and I don't know what this pastor's story is because I don't know, I don't have a clue, but I can tell you this. If you find yourself where you're not recovering as fast as you used to from hurts and disappointments and adversity, check your heart for unforgiveness. 99% of the time, that's going to be the culprit. God wants you to be resilient, to snap back fast if you're stretched, amen, or compressed. But you can't do it if you won't walk in forgiveness. You're going to get hurt in this life. Hey, pastor, that's a revelation. You're going to get disappointed. 
You're going to have things go sideways on you. What are you going to do? You're going to walk in forgiveness. Say it with me. I walk in forgiveness. Bitterness would have destroyed Joseph and hundreds of thousands of other lives to boot. But that's not what you see. You see this incredible testimony of a young man who did nothing but receive favor from his father and nothing but receive dreams from God. That was his crime. Amen. And what did he do? He was resent all the way from the pit to the palace. That's why he was promoted. And write this down. This is what happens if you'll stay resent. God is no respecter of persons. Bible says the things in the Old Testament are written there as examples to us. If you see God do something in a man like Joseph, he can do it in your life as well. Four peace tonight, write these down. If you'll stay resilient, you're going to see promotion come in your life. You say, why? Because the longer this goes on, the less people are qualified, the more people drop off. At the end of the day, there may only be a few people in the pool that are even qualified to be promoted in God's eyes. But you were resilient. And so you find yourself being promoted. Number two is position. He sticks you in a place that he can use you. You know, uh, Mordecai didn't deserve what Haman was trying to do, did he? But he maintained, and he was resilient. And guess who ended up on the gallows that Haman created? You know, Haman always gets, the Hamans always get hung, and the Absaloms always get speared through. Don't need, God don't need your help. They'll set themselves up. But you'll have promotion, but you'll be placed. You'll be set. How many love the idea that God sets people? The Bible says in Corinthians that he sets us in the body where he wants us. If he's able to do that, then he's able to set you through your resiliency, amen, where he wants you to be. He gives you position. Number three, power. In Joseph's case, he had power over the entire known world. But in your case, what authority, what dominion, what is he doing? What is he expanding in your life? He gives you promotion. He gives you position. He gives you power. Say it, I have authority. Say it, authority in Jesus' name. And the fourth thing he gave him was prosperity for his resilience. If you'd have looked at Joseph next to Pharaoh in that chariot, you would have seen a man well decked out. I promise you this, there was no $160 silver medallion hanging from his neck. Laden with gold. In the finest chariot. The highest salary. The biggest blessing for a man in his station. But these things don't come to people that quit. Amen. State would be promotion. Position. Power. Prosperity. And, you know, you don't see Joseph saying, no, nah, I don't want that prosperity stuff. I just want to wear some old Hebrew rags. Not in my kingdom. Not in the chariot next to me. You're going to look the part, Joseph. You're not going to look like you did in that pit. You're not going to look like you did the day you were accused of rape and thrown in prison. You're going to look like the second most powerful ruler in all of Egypt. Amen. Say it, resiliency. I'm telling you that uh, this is a, a, a seed uh, sown in a correct season right now in the body of Christ. You take this and run with it. It's not a question of whether you're going to have opportunities to back off and quit. 
It's just a matter of you going to have the heart that says, you know, I'm going to have the spirit of resiliency in my life. Say, I have a resilient spirit. Say, well, your resiliency leads to, amen, promotion, position, power, prosperity. You just keep doing what you're doing. Amen. Say it with me. Devotion to God. A vision for my destiny. Commitment to excellence. A positive mental attitude. A heart of forgiveness. Amen. You'll cultivate resiliency and the enemy won't be able to stop you. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, you can't stop this. Say it like you mean, you can't stop this. Here's the bottom line. You know what resiliency, what it comes down to? You know what it is? It's a choice. Amen. That sounds complicated, isn't it? I set before you blessings and curses, life and death. Now what? Now choose life. People can throw things at you, but only you can decide to quit. Amen. And, and if you're not being nailed by people or circumstances or losses or challenges, there's always a devil whispering in your ear. You've done this long enough. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. You're not making a difference. Blah, 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 blah. You should be over here. You should be over there. You should be doing this. You need to open up your mouth and tell old Slewfoot to shut up. Amen. He's messing with your resiliency, which means he's messing with your promotion. He's messing with your position. He is messing with your power. He is messing with your prosperity. He works on us each differently. He knows the strings to pull. <laughs> he knows exactly what to say. Amen. Say it with you. None of these things. Say it boldly. None of these things move me. Say it again. None of these things move me. Amen. Said, I have a resilient spirit. Amen. So if we find you in 20 years, what are you going to be doing? Still doing what God's told you to do. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, amen. Glory to God. Come on, give me a hand clap if you can receive that tonight.